And we are back on This American Podcast Comedy Edition. I'm Tony Bissick, coming to you on ComedySchoolsRadio.com, high above Scottsdale. It's the second corner, coolest corner all of Scottsdale, Goldwater and Camelback. And we are pleased as punch. We are excited. We are thrilled to have uh, uh, a man that um, I've gotten to know uh, fairly well over the last year, year and a half, Rick Bronson, who oddly enough owns a place called Rick Bronson's House of Comedy. Good thing I found that building, huh? Yeah. Well, that was dead. What are the odds? We, ah. we, we want to put this, uh, the, the controversy to rest right now. The rumor, uh, there was a question as to whether you were driving through Scottsdale uh, Scott and Phoenix and saw a building called Rick Bronson's House of Comedy. Yes. So I should buy that. That's my name. If that were the case, I uh, lived five years in Ottawa, Ontario, and there's a uh, Bronson Avenue there. Yeah. And um, I've always been asked thousands. You were lady, you were lady, you were lady. It was a famous, like, ex-politician in Ottawa. Of course, Charles Bronson was the one that I got all the time. Yeah. No relation there. You're not in no relation I, I had, and I, I, I specify the word had because I no longer have, but through marriage, now divorce, I had a, uh, uh, a one Hollywood celebrity uh, relation, and I was <laughs> for a brief seven-year stint uh, through marriage of someone on my side of the family, uh, relative to uh, uh, Anne Romano. Ian Romano from... Um, that's Tuscany here now. That's not a real name. No, 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 no. And I know the name, and I'm, and you know what, and I'm blanking on it. But I know. Like Bob, you Bob, have you it? Know. I just get, I love Charles Bronson. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, thank you for that. <laughs> Ian Romano that is... That feels uh, like a callback uh, from yesterday already. I don't know why. <laughs> that, was that One Day at a Time? One Day at a Time. Anne Frank uh, was oh, her name. Uh, Bonnie, Bonnie, Bonnie Franklin was her name, Bonnie. and Anne Romano was the character she played on, uh, oh. on One Day at a Time. Was this like an, al- was this like an Alzheimer's test? No, it's just that I know you're as equally as aged as I am. As we sit here and look at you, I walk into the room as a young man wearing an Expos hat. He's all of 26 years old, you said? 26, and I I mean, I grew up in Montreal as an Expos fan. I've since turned my back on baseball since, uh, (laughs) more or less since 94, since call it a lockout, call it a strike, call it whatever that... Are we clean? Are we clean on this? Yeah, you can say whatever you want. All right. Because I'm fucking pissed. (laughs) (laughs) Because it was the best team in baseball, bar none. They even would have held up today as the best team in baseball. And it all came through a minor league scouting system. It was all done through player development. It wasn't done through drafting and just going out and poaching the best talent there was, i.e. the New York Yankees. Um, so it's uh, it's al- it's always mixed feelings walking in and seeing an Expos logo because I'm such a such a big fan. So 
There's baseball in Canada? There is, yes, Tony. <laughs> yes, we play it on skidoos. It's oh, a different sport, but... <laughs> see, I, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, where I, uh, baseball was damn near born. The Cardinals have been, yeah, they were since the late 1800s. So, um, I always found it interesting when it went to Canada. Although you guys must have thought it was interesting when said hockey was being played in, like, Memphis. Well, you know what? The one we find the most interesting, actually. Well, first of all, I, I will, I'll agree with you on that. Any city that doesn't have the ability to naturally make ice outdoors has no <laughs> business winning a Stanley Cup. I used to do a joke when uh, when I was in Winnipeg. I used to always perform. I, used to, I, I guess I was too big of a fan. I used to go cheer the Winnipeg Jets on you. Go, Jets, go. And they did, right to yeah. Phoenix, you know? <laughs> uh, so I don't go here and cheer because God knows I don't want to be the responsible businessman for seeing the coyotes piss off out of Arizona. Uh, By the way, they shouldn't just say the Phoenix Coyotes, Arizona. Uh, uh, like, more fans are going to jump on board from Tucson and start heading up to the games now that they're no longer... Are they going to move out of Glendale? Are they definitely going to go? Or I, I think uh, if you look at the way hockey has evolved, uh, I would think that at some point it would have to. It just... It doesn't make sense. I mean, I would love to see it stay in Arizona. I would just love to see an arena place somewhere between, uh, on the 101 loop, between Scott, uh, you know, between, uh, you know, on the east side of 101 yeah. loop, something like that talking stick situation. I mean, if you look at your hockey fans, most of them are snowbirds that are vacationing here all winter yeah. long from Minnesota, Chicago, and Canada. Yeah. Why not appeal to that customer? Why are we going to put it as far west as possible? For football, Glendale's great. You go out there once a week, you make a once-a-week commitment. But for hockey, sometimes it's three, four games in a week. What are the odds of you getting out there? Um, yeah, you know, it doesn't seem to work out. It seemed like the idea was, it seemed like, it, I think it's a headphone. Where does the headphone issue with Bob? Bob, I, is I, I'm not hearing much in mine, so. That's You're not hearing much in your side? No. Okay, all right. Sorry, as long as you can hear me on the I, I can hear, I don't I got you fine. Stuff. I got you fine. You're good. And I can see, I can see the green, I can see the little green, um, <laughs> jumping uh, lights here to tell me that uh, we're all good. Okay, so, I, you know, um, I don't want to, I've been talking about hockey all day. I've been talking about hockey for hours because I know nothing about hockey. You've been, I, you, before I got here, you've been talking about hockey? No, I said I would talk <laughs> oh, about I hockey would. all day. Oh, all right. Okay. You missed all the really, really good hockey stuff we talked yeah, about. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> damn. Nude ice hockey at, uh, combined with nude <coughs> ice hockey fishing. That we, uh, it's something that Bob... I've got a franchise. Yeah, he's introduced it into the uh, into the market. Uh, I, I tell you, I'd help you find investors, but good luck, Bob. <laughs> I want to talk to you about your club and about comedy. Sure. Uh, you want, you want, where do you want to start? The beginning? Do you want to start the middle? The end? Well, I want to start with, first off, I want people to know, but we, we talk about your club every week. We always And we greatly appreciate that. Yeah. And, uh and I'm hoping now that uh, you found uh, some time slots, we'll be able to get our guys back into a regular rotation here with you because uh, we got some great, great shows coming up. We got Reese Darby this week, and I'm trying to uh, get his management to, because uh, we didn't submit it soon enough, but to be able to try to get him out here for tomorrow morning. We would love to have him. He's love him. great. Tell I mean, us about him a little bit. He uh, came to uh, fame through... He came to fame through, uh, I mean, it was a huge cult hit uh, on Comedy uh, on Comedy Central and in the and in, the, uh, in Canada on the Comedy Network uh, called Play to the Concord, who were uh, a comedy duo out of Australia. Are they New Zealand? They, you never want to make that mistake. They <laughs> not to them. Very pissed. Not to them, no. Doesn't matter. Who yeah. gives a shit? They all, they all <laughs> fun the Barbie, whatever. We, whatever the hell you're going to do. But it's, um, he, he was, uh, he played a phenomenal role. He played the manager, a really seedy, typical Hollywood manager uh, of Play to the Concord's comedy duo. 
and uh, he's a phenomenal comedic actor, and uh, so much so that you know, you know how often you'll go see a guy who's been famous for acting. You go see him do stand up, and you're a little disheartened because you can tell that hey, this is a guy that was a comic actor, saw that there was a buck to be made doing stand up, switched gears, and next thing you know, he's doing the circuit. He was definitely one of those guys that was doing stand-up before doing the acting, but because he would, did, was so successful so quickly with the acting, people don't even realize that he really was uh, a very stand funny stand-up. Great performer, like, and he was more than a stand-up. He was almost had that Edinburgh uh, and a kind of influence, where it was that very much that one-man show style performer. Yeah. So, I mean, he's one of the rare guys that is so animated that he actually performs using a theatrical uh, headpiece. Uh, because he just likes to have the hands animated, his face is animated. He's wonderful. I'm a, a hobbyist photographer, and he's wonderful to to shoot photography uh, because you cannot take a bad picture. It's impossible. And he's going to be at your club starting tonight. He starts tonight. He's here through Saturday. Uh, we had a great couple of days. Well, we had uh, an old friend of mine, and I'd say that literally and figuratively. <laughs> we go back 30 years, and now... He's just pushed the 50 barrier, and I'm getting damn, I'll be 47 in just a couple of weeks' time here. Young men! Yeah, <laughs> I wish. I wish. Tell that to my knees and my hips, Tony. There's nothing young about it. Yeah. Every time I go to my doctor, I can actually see his eyes get big, and those dollar sign cartoon figures appear. I think they're contact lenses, but either way, it's a great trick. Um, your, your hips don't lie, especially as you get older. No. It's I a whole. It's different than the Shakira stuff. Say, they lie a little bit differently than Shakira's do. But yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a fib, nevertheless. Yeah. Um, but uh, that was a fun weekend, get, catching back up with uh, Stevie Starr, the regurgitator, the last yes. few days. Yes, yeah. Uh, <coughs> spent some time, and it's always uh, fun for me when I see guys that Stevie and I were doing the NACA circuit and the COCA circuit, which is the big college circuit across yeah. the country where uh, schools seem to have unlimited budgets to bring entertainers in, and God bless them for that. And uh, we were playing that game of, uh, you know, have you seen this guy, have you seen that guy? And it's... Uh, it's always amazing how you can go 20 years without talking about someone and then you just bring them up in conversation and very casually and very organically and the next thing you know it's the floodgates just start opening up and I thank God for that because I'm at that age where I'm starting to think that my memory is absolutely just gone. I mean, my Alzheimer's in the family, <laughs> I've taken enough medication, I work in show business, let's be honest, there's been enough drugs around me for a considerable amount of time that... I'm sure I've screwed a few brain cells. May, may I ask you once again who you are? <laughs> <laughs> you promise there'd be no fucking testing. <laughs> <laughs> now, you, uh, you, you opened up... Uh, first off, if you haven't been to Rick Bronson's House of Comedy, and I say this often, okay, uh, if you haven't been there, you, sh you should go. There's a lot of great uh, comedy clubs in the Valley, and I'm friends with a lot of people that own comedy clubs and, and put on... Uh, shows here but uh, I love your club it's one of the most beautiful clubs Thank you. I appreciate that you begin to you really do one of the things that you are able to see here in the valley is you're able to kind of see the personality of the people involved with the club with the interior of it the way you're greeted at the door uh, the menu that they have the sound system that they have and you have one of the most high quality venues that I've come across well, I, I think it really comes down to this Tony is that we're performers. You, me, Bob, we perform yeah. first, right? And when you're a performer... Rob, first, too. Rob's a performer. Rob's a performer as well? Yeah, intern Rob's a performer, All yeah. All right. Can okay. you tell? Look at him. Well, he's wearing an Expos hat, so I think it might have garnered him a weekend at the House of Comedy. I'm not <laughs> sure. I, I think it was well-played research on Rob's part. Yeah. A little Google. Um... But I think because uh, coming from a stand-up, uh, we were all performers, and, I, you know, we're still all performing, and uh, the fact that I've toured 
uh, every facility in North America, let alone many of them in Europe and abroad. Um, we've had the luxury of being able to pick and choose and see our favorite qualities of each of these clubs that we've played. And also over time, we've been able to build our own, uh, you know, our own assessments as to what would make a better venue. How could this particular venue be better? So um, it's not that we came out here and opened up and said, oh, we're going to try to build a nicer place than all the other clubs that are in existence. Because I'll talk about this a bit later with you. It's something I'd love to talk about is that we don't open a club to compete with other comedy yeah. clubs. We open a we're, com we're all competing for the same thing. We're competing for that extra dollar that consumers are willing to spend on entertainment. So you're up against sports, you're up against movies, you're up against theater. You're not up against comedy. I find it's always very narrow-minded to think of when a comedy club opens, there's instant threat, especially here in the Valley where we're in a city that is being built outwardly. So it's gonna require pockets of entertainment destinations yeah. in many parts of the Valley. And there's an ability for all of them to thrive equally well and uh, work copacetically. Um, so, I mean, I've always pushed towards that. I know when the Laugh Factory boys moved in here in Scottsdale, I immediately called them and said, hey, if there's anything I can do for you guys. Great group of guys. Yep. Super nice guys. And, yeah. uh, and it's so important that I think in a community such as ours, that's such a small clique as it is, the comedy community, and where it's very, uh, I mean, where word gets around real quick about everyone, everybody, and everything, that, uh, that we're supportive of each other. There's nothing worse than having that guy at the back of the room that's... Uh, hoping that the, the guy who's currently on stage absolutely <laughs> tanks it and shits the bed so that by the time he goes up, he's going to look like a rock star. You know, it's, it's interesting you brought that up. I, I, it may have been uh, Jeff Altman and Jackson Purdue I, w I was speaking with, or it may have been uh, someone else that uh, I was joking with them because they both came in and I said, so who's the headliner? And they go, one night I am, one night he is. And they go, that whole thing of I hope he eats it or trying to blow the other guy. We go, that's over. We're all in this together. More and more people are beginning to understand that. Some don't. I, I hope so, but I, unfortunately, I still feel that there's uh, not everyone's jumping on 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 that sh kind ship, if you will. Yeah. Um, I, I wish that were the case because I came from such a nurturing environment uh, in Montreal. I worked at a small little club called the Comedy Nest, and um, five of the guys that I started with of a group of six are all very successful in this industry, which is unbelievable to think the five guys you start. Like, what are the odds of everyone making a career out of it? Yeah. Uh, one of my best pals is John Rogers, who's currently, uh, he created the uh, what's, uh, NBC series now, The Producer. Yeah. Uh, the Producer. Uh, or The Player. I'm sorry. The Player, um, uh, which is a new series. But he, uh, he wrote Rush Hour with Jackie Chan. And, uh, wow. and these are guys that I started with. And I, and I have nothing but pride in saying, hey, that's my buddy. That's my pal. That is a guy that I came up through the ranks with. Now, you, you were a very successful performer and television personality in Canada for many years, well, correct? I, I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I mean, <laughs> I was actually quite global. I hosted a series, uh, I wrote, produced, hosted, a, and created a series for the Travel Channel uh, back before the days of the interactive kind of uh, host uh, persona. It was back when it was very Jacques Cousteau, beauty shot, beauty shot, beauty shot, long narrative, boring voiceover. The, you know, the, uh, uh -huh. the Scottish coastline, you know, I mean, just really <laughs> crappy, boring shit. So we started, uh, I was already doing all this traveling, so I pitched the idea of doing a travel series where it was as much about the people of the destination as it was about the destination itself. And even more so, if we were going to see the destination, let's see it the eyes of the people that actually live there and have some fun while doing it. Let's have a few laughs. So even before Attell did Insomniac, I had this kind of comedy hybrid series on the Travel Channel that ran for four seasons, almost five. And um, we were in 40 countries. And uh, that was probably my first real... Uh, 
I mean, I started stand-up at 15, but this was kind of the first thing that helped me sell some theaters in Europe and do some theaters across Canada. Um, and, uh, and after doing theaters, I realized how much I love doing comedy clubs. And then you decided to open your own comedy club. Well, I did decide. So, I mean, how did that happen? Yeah, good, good. And, and all, well, first, let me go back to saying about the room here. We designed it from the perspective of being a comic and what comics like. Um, so that's why the sound is great. That's why the lighting is great. That's why the audio is top of the line. Um, it's great that it's it, that it affects the audience and they love it too. But we did it for the performers. We want the performers to know that they are not. They have the going up to pl up to the bat up to the plate that they have the best chance of getting a hit we don't want them to feel that they're going up to strike out we don't want them to ever think that we're this we're setting them up for failure this is all about setting them up for success so by spending a few extra bucks by doing the time to do the audio configurations properly and acoustical treatments to the room um, it really is the difference between setting someone up for success or setting someone up for failure. So as a comic myself that toured for years, as I was saying, if we weren't trying to make ourselves better than the other rooms, I just, we have, I happen to feel that we're luckier that I'm a club owner, and I hate even using <laughs> that term, because I'm a comic that owns a club. Is gotcha, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. And as a comic that owns a club, I had hindsight being 2020, having performed all these other venues of knowing what makes a great venue. And that's not to say the Tempe Improvs and the Laugh Factories and the Stand Up Lives aren't great venues. Each of their own right have some really great qualities. Uh, there's, to me, there's just little things from a performer's perspective that will get overlooked in the design build-out of a comedy club if you have not been a comic yourself. I kind of equate it to the Just for Last Festival in Montreal, how they pick and choose who's funny enough to perform year after year, and then they dissect your, uh, your set, and they'll tell you what to do and how to do it. I'm like, have you ever been on fucking stage? <laughs> no. Then don't tell me how to do this. I know what I'm doing. There's a reason why I'm in the festival, and you're working with me here today. Just let me do what I do. You know, it's interesting, the, uh, the whole philosophy behind uh, how you built out your club, because when I first walked into it, well, actually, when I first met you, you were still building it out. Oh, yeah. Okay? We're, I mean, we're, we're still tweaking. I had lunch, I mean, it's an I had lunch with you and uh, some people who had blueprints. We're having lunch, and people running with blueprints. Right. And My people, wife, Tammy, permits, showed up. Your wife you showed up. Your son showed up. You know, and um, uh, <laughs> that was the first time I met you. But what I noticed that when I... That was the word Kona Grill, if I recall. That's correct, yeah. yeah. I went, your club, I go, this guy want to make the audience feel like uh, from the minute you walk in that you've made a good choice. I don't know. Have you ever walked into a place where you paid and you walked in and go, we might have made a bad choice. Yep. You oh. haven't been seated yet. Nothing's gone on yet, but you think you made a bad choice. You go, this guy uh, built a place where from the minute you walk in, you go, oh, we made a good choice before the evening even starts. So I, I originally thought this guy built it from an audience's perspective, but you built it from a comics perspective. Yeah, because if you build it from a comics perspective, then the audience is going to reap the benefits of all those things that I just listed off there. Uh, if the sound is great, which is what comics want, if the lighting is great, which is what comics yeah. want, if the sight lines are great, which is what comics want, all those things are what the audience wants. Yeah, I had a. Uh, I want you to talk about this from years ago. I had a guy uh, was complaining about shows that I produce, and he goes, "You know the problem with those shows." He goes, 
the way he puts those shows together, he goes, it's like uh, he makes it so it's, it's easy. He goes, they goes in and the audience is ready to laugh or even come in because of the environment it builds. And, and he goes, you know, comedy is really about going into a really shitty place. For no. No, no. no, not at all. No. Not at all. So when you, you go into a shitty place to do comedy, it's called you're working B and C rooms and one-nighters. And all that does to a comic is it forces you to learn how to write dick jokes because that's the only thing that's going to hold the attention of that particular Absolutely. Audience. Yeah. If you want to raise the level of your comedy and raise the level of your self and your own intelligence uh, playing those type of venues they're a necessity because as you're coming up through the comedy ranks you have to play them just to get your feet wet just to work out the nerve scenario of being on stage on a nightly basis just to work over that hurdle of okay I want to try to work some new material into the show but I'm really scared to do it at an A room when I'm getting paid to feature for the weekend yeah. or see whatever the case may be so they serve a purpose but at the end of the day again set up your audience for success. I've never heard anything so ridiculous that someone would bitch and say, oh, this is too easy. This room is too hot. It's too good. What is the audience real? is too yeah. prep. We've warmed them up too nicely for us. He, he, he put the one nighter in a place called Chili Packers or something. I can't remember. And it was, and I, I go, I've never heard anything so silly in my life. They go, it's almost like it's almost like some people want to act out their, their uh, uh, machismo. Is that how you say that word, or is it machismo? How do you? What's I think it's machismo. machismo. Yes, you can. Yes. Through okay. uh, stand up. Yeah. Words like scheduled and scheduled. Scheduled. Yes. Yeah. yeah the, the, the token. The token Hispanic. We yeah. Machismo. We scheduled your machismo. Uh, that they want to. They would have proved that they're a man by doing that, as opposed to I want to make people laugh. So the other thing I want to tell you, your booking philosophy, because as I look at uh, week in and week out. One of the things I love about your club, one of the things you're doing, is that people that were not in the market previously are not in the market in a way that they can be uh, promoted properly. You're able to bring in, you know, new names, fresh names. Well, we're, we're really lucky that, I mean, one thing that I have going for me now is uh, I'll be 30, uh, 33 years in the business yeah. uh, this year. So, um, as you know, and you've been at this a long time too, you cross a lot of paths with a lot of people. And uh, I've made a lot of good friends, and uh, and uh, you know, I guess if I can give myself a kudos, I've always been a pretty strong networker. I like, uh -huh. I genuinely like people, so yeah. I like meeting people. I like meeting comics, and when they want to introduce me to someone else or make a recommendation, we're always happy to hear. You know, because I am a comic that built out, built out clubs, and to have other comics say, "Oh, you should have this guy," or "You should consider doing this," I'm not so opinionated. I go, "Are you out of your mind? I think I know what the hell I'm doing here." I'm always happy to uh, to listen to advice and to take uh, to take criticism because that's the only way to grow personally and uh, and and as a business entity as well. Um, but my wife, I got to give her all the credit. Tammy um, works diligently with agents and managers across the globe, not just Canada and the U.S., but also uh, in Europe. And she really stays on top of the scene. So we try to our our model in booking is. First things first, most important, whether it's someone who's an emerging talent who we feel is going to be a big act or whether it's someone who's already established, is we have to have a crowd pleaser. We want someone in there who's going to make the audience say, oh, why do we not come see comedy more often? We need to go see live comedy all the time. What the hell are we thinking going to a movie two weeks ago and waiting three months to go see live comedy? It's always been my intention so that when people come to a comedy show, they're already thinking about how quickly they can book back to go see another comedy show. Yeah. Yeah. So if you don't have a crowd pleaser, 
I mean, you're just already shooting yourself in the foot because your headliner is about the bulk of the show. He's going to be doing 45 to an hour long at the end of the night, and he's going to be the last impression, and it's absolutely vital that he just hits a home run every time. Is it going to happen that he hits a home run every time? No, but it's really easy to book guys who are going to bat 950. I'll promise you that much. Um, when you book guys that have that ability to kind of, you know, they can turn an audience or they can walk an audience, we're very hesitant to book those guys, even if they have great rep. Like, I mean, I'll tell you a good example. I what was a huge um, Andy Kindler. I mean, I'm a huge Andy Kindler fan. <laughs> I love Andy, but I'd be really scared to book him because Andy just is one of those guys that if the audience isn't on board, I've seen them, uh, I've seen them turn on him real quick. Andy's kind of built a career on being someone who talks about the business and bombing. Yeah. Yeah. I met Andy. Andy, when I first met Andy, was in 1986. I moved to Torrance, California, and I was riding a bicycle down Hawthorne Boulevard, and there was a club called Seymour Hams. Get it? <laughs> Seymour Hams. <coughs> and Andy was booking a uh, comedy show there, Excuse and he was. Me. I went in and talked to him. He was very excited because Tracy Lords had decided to do stand up comedy, the teenage porno yeah, actress. Yeah, of course. And he had booked her in, so he was thrilled by that. But later on, <laughs> would have been I did I did a <laughs> I, did, <laughs> I did a one or two months tour where Andy was the opening act, I was the feature act, and Bill uh, Hicks was the closer. Oh, so nice. and that was way back in the eighties, and that was right before Andy decided I'm going to be the cynical I hate the business comic that he is. Works great in New York. It's and a very funny it's guy. Fabulous in the cellar. Yeah, it's very. Yeah, in the comedy cellar, you know, it, it's a very funny show. But then you get him out in like Iowa or Phoenix or St. Louis or but, but the mean, other 49 states. He's also great in all those states for 10 and 15 minute sets too. It's only yeah. when he's doing the hour long set. And I mean, I really hope that it, you know, <laughs> this isn't getting back to Andy. Oh, we're going to send it to I him. love, I really do. <laughs> he's calling all, me right now. First of all, he's a fellow he. He's a member of the tribe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, automatically, he gets a hall pass right there. Uh, but I do love him. I mean, as a matter of fact, I'll say I saw him at the Just the Last Festival this summer in Montreal. It might have been the greatest set I've ever seen him do, and it was one of the top ten greatest stand-up sets. It was just that polished, he's a funny that man. bang on. Oh, he's great. When he is on, he is on. So, when he's off, he's, he can be a little off. But my point is, <laughs> I, as much as I'd love to have him like that, I mean, put it this way, to, in all respects to Andy Kindler, let's go to another Andy. If Andy Kaufman were still doing stand-up, I don't think my wife would book him at the club. Really? And I and let's pretend he's not famous. Let's pretend he's kind of middle. I mean, if he's famous, obviously he's going to draw numbers. It'll be his crowd that comes out. But if it's not his crowd, and there happens to be people that are just there to see comedy that weekend, and they see this guy, it ain't really mainstream kind of comedy, right? Yeah. I mean, it's going to throw people. Hop on a bus. We're going for cookies. On yeah. Kind of line out the door. Club owner, like, well, I'm here to sell booze, Andy. You yeah. Walk them out of the. <laughs> Thanks, pal. Appreciate that. Um, but uh, it's just we always feel better knowing that if we don't have to stress about the show, we know the show is already a great show. We just need to stress about our staff, cater to our customers, make sure that they aren't just greeted well when they get there, but but when they, if they're making a reservation on the phone, if they're making a reservation online, that it's a flawless booking system to get their ticket, to receive their ticket. I mean, we've gone to a paperless system now. People can come in just with a QR code. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to the whole Apple feature. You take a Bitcoin yet? Um, yeah, I plan on taking Bitcoin. Just I, have, I have a Bitcoin. Ru I'm trying Russian, to get rid of it. Russian and Chinese Bitcoins. That's it, though. A guy owed me money, and he couldn't pay me. 
lady, pay me with a Bitcoin, and I can't. I, I can buy a small Asian boy. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen that documentary on the Bitcoin? No. It is. Uh, you got to watch it. Just an unbelievable scam. Just created money. It is. I've got, I've got Rick coin coming soon. With the market, <laughs> Rick coin. So feel free well, to. Uh, it bounces all. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you right now what my Bitcoin is worth today. It is worth um, three hundred thirty-six dollars and seventy-eight cents. I own eighty-five uh, percent of a Bitcoin. The guy owed me 250 bucks, <laughs> paid me with a Bitcoin. For a while it was worth like 100 bucks, now it's worth 336. I don't know where to spend it. I don't where know how do, to spend Where it. do you sell it? I, it, well, it says sell Bitcoin, and then I hit that. And it says, sorry. It, yeah, it goes, it, goes, it goes, loser. I mean, there's guys you can meet in a parking lot in a van that are wearing like an aluminum foil hat. Uh, Bitcoin Phoenix will pay $452.39 for a Bitcoin according to this. It's like one of those so stupid. Why, so why are you holding on to it? Just so you have. I'm a afraid bit? when I go there. <laughs> so you have a bit on your <laughs> the guy will kill me or something. I'm afraid of that. That's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid I'm going to get sucked into some dark world of weirdness if I go to sell my Bitcoin and meet us in an alley, and I end up going down a chute in a rabbit hole, and the next thing I know, I'm fighting aliens. This is perfect. My my fear. Let's get back to talking about Rick. So Bronson. no conspiracy theory for you whatsoever. Huh? It's all a conspiracy. <laughs> I actually feel. Don't talk about whatever you want. I feel very comfortable with you. I got to say, first of all, you know we have a club in Minnesota that has comedy in Minnesota. You do, and you got Bob Dylan uh, hanging on the wall behind you there. I do. So you got a good Jewish boy from Minnesota looking yes. over your shoulder right at me here while doing the interview. Robert so, Zimmerman. I'm not really sure if this is all planned. If this room is like this, and <laughs> it was feng shui. Walk they... in. There's an Expos hat and a Jewish musician <laughs> on the wall. Yeah, absolutely. I feel absolutely. like I'm going to walk out into the hands of the SS, though. It's being a, it's no, a giant no. setup here. You may. It? There's my. Uh, there, there's my plaque. I am a uh, honorary uh, Kentucky Colonel. Very nice. I could actually officially be referred to all. I tried to get everybody to call, call me Colonel Visick for a while. <laughs> Were you around Bob when I was trying to get people just to call me Colonel? Yes, so I was. You should have went with just Colonel V. Colonel V. I Colonel like V. Because mm. Colonel Visick sounds... It, it sounds a little too German. It sounds yeah. a little it too... It sounds Austrian, actually. <laughs> well, granted, but Austrian and German, yeah. I don't want to remind you, Hitler was not really all that German. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I know, yeah. Colonel V. He was Swedish. Colonel V. Comedy Club. Yeah, yeah. So we got that up. I got my original Grateful Dead poster from. Uh, Can't go wrong. I'm a big dead. Deadhead. We're thinking yeah. about. We saw them uh, in Santa Clara this summer. We're thinking about going back. Uh, see them in Vegas uh, over Thanksgiving. So uh, yeah, we got. I got my autograph, Rich Jenny, right over there. Oh wow! Rich was an old pal of mine. Rich was great, man. He, now that that was a com he was a comics co and then uh, my autograph, Led Zeppelin. Zeppelin. Nice. Yeah. Uh, you're just lacking a little bit of Springsteen memorabilia, and it's almost a perfect room. Almost well, close. If you look at the Lenny Bruce poster, he looks like Springsteen. It's Lenny. Yeah. It's a Lenny poster. He uh, looks like Bruce. Lenny's yeah. a little dark, but I, I love that you surrounded yourself by Jews. Ah. I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna <laughs> Who's with that the, guy? Right the exception of a really, uh, really interesting Donald Trump caricature. And I hope that's not what it is. That's what it is. That's Hillary. Uh, uh, well, that's Hillary. Is bang on. <laughs> My brother is an art professor in Los Angeles, and he does caricatures and. Uh, he had a he had a political cartoon that ran in a Long Beach newspaper for many years. It, he didn't get fired. The newspaper collapsed. Ah, so as all newspapers no. do. But uh, he's an artist, and uh, I was out visiting him, and um, uh, he gave that to me. And that's um, that up there. That's uh, Merle Haggard and Bob Dylan, I believe. Yeah, I can't it is Dylan. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's he drew that as well. And so, you've even got the Squire amp on the desk. That's nice. That's right. I got, I got and I got uh, uh, some of my old time radios. We wanted. Can I be honest? <laughs> when we. When we decided to open this studio, okay, when we decided to do this, we decided to spend the money, okay, and it's a much smaller scale, 
but you were kind of what we had in mind where I looked I looked around and I have ran comedy shows at a cheap where some bar said we'd like to do it and they paid us and could pay comics and I've done that sort of thing I thought if I'm gonna do this I'm gonna sign this lease and it's got to be a nice place so that when, yeah, entertain, right. when entertainers come in, whether they be the most local amateur entertainer or, you know, a, a world-class headliner, when they come in, that they're going to come into a nice place. They're going to feel that it has to be in a good location and that we're going to make it into a nice uh, kind of a fun vibe, too. So kind of what you did is really what I emulated when I had this studio in mind. Obviously, it's well, small. Well, it's certainly not anything that I've created. I mean, what, what you're doing is you're trying to build the space using your knowledge and your history yeah. and all the years that you put into this and say, what's going to set me up again and my guests for fail uh, for success and not yeah. failure? And that's what you've done. And I, I, that's great. I, I absolutely... Uh, well, we decided to uh, emulate you because I went to your club and I go, this guy's not doing it on the cheap. <laughs> that's what I thought when I first saw your club. I go, this guy's sparing no expense. This guy's all in. Well, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I still look... I mean, believe me. You're I'm smart still, with your Jewish. money. I still look to where yeah. I can be smart with the money. Absolutely. And I'm not just going to throw it out the window because some contractor says, hey, you need this. Well, why do I need this? What's it going to do? How's it, how's it going to affect the acoustics? How's yeah. Gonna, whatever the case may be. But, um, yeah, I think uh, when you invest and take pride in your business, yourself, it's that comes off. People recognize that. Yeah. You know, one, I'll tell you one thing I notice about people, and I hope I'm not going to insult anyone in this uh, situation by saying it, because I'm <laughs> oh, bound to. I'm bound to. Do it. But you go into, someone offers you a ride, you go into their car, you look in the back seat, and it looks like World War Three has transpired back there. Yeah. And right away, I'll be honest, I cast this bird. I, I sure. already can tell you what type of guy this is. He's the type of guy that from the front, because the front seat looks fine, Gives you a great appearance, and you can and, and is trying to pass himself off as or herself off as uh, got getting their shit together. But yeah. then you look at their trunk, and you realize there are a lot of fucking skeletons <laughs> in this son of a bitch. The trunk. The trunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never look inside the trunk. Never look at somebody's Don't trunk. Don't get off the boat. Don't look at their trunk. But, but you know what I mean, yeah. though, with, with that analogy. I'm saying sure. some people. I mean, so to dive in and do it a hundred percent, not fifty percent, but to really do it properly. And, and you know what? And there's nothing wrong with, I think, the downsizing. I actually like the intimacy of a smaller place. It's one of the reasons, too, I mean, that I do think, I mean, and I'll say, I think we have the nicest room for comedy in the Valley because strictly the, the one, the acoustics and the whole design element of it, but the size of it. That 300 to 320 benchmark is, I think, the perfect size room in comedy. I agree. I think when you get into these 450s and 500s and p beyond, you're already looking at guys. If a guy can sell out five shows of 550 people, that guy's doing theaters or casinos. Yeah. He's no longer a club act. Yeah. So who exactly are you playing to? Also, when you have a club that large, you end up having to, on you know your quieter nights, your Tuesdays and Wednesdays, when you only have 50 or 75 people, which is historic, and we all, yeah. even in New York, that's the situation. We all expect that. When your room holds 500, people that are there feel uncomfortable it looks empty it feels it just feels gigantic it feels enormous the space and they just feel so lost in it it feels uh i mean you, it, well, it, you were around it, it, as i was when uh the comedy boom began oh man okay. yeah and and, 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 mo and, yeah, and, and most clubs uh, uh were uh, 300 seats was a big club my starting room the comedy nest was legal capacity 75 we <laughs> squeezed in 96 yeah yeah so 
And then there was that move, and, and I know that I know the guy who did it. Okay, and uh, God rest his soul, Mark Anderson, as I understand it, was what he began to notice was a lot of his acts that he loved, that you know that he booked on a regular basis, were all of a sudden being um, swallowed up by concert promoters. And his concept was, I'll big build big enough comedy showrooms that I compete with the comic with the uh, the concert promoter. He wasn't able to do that. If you have a 500-seat room and someone goes, well, we have a 5,000-seat room. We're going to fly you in. You'll do a show, and then you'll be home in time to watch the evening news in Los Angeles. The club can't compete with that. I, right. I have nothing but respect for Mark. I really, really do. I didn't know him well. We yeah. met a couple of times over my Wonderful life. Wonderful guy. Uh, he was very pro-comic, yeah. which I like a lot. I think uh, the best club owners are always pro-comics, and it's all about the comics. Um, but I, I disagree with that mentality of trying to grow larger to compete with it. Yeah. If anything, that's when you need to start being a better scout because it's almost like what the, we talked about the expos. You need to start scouting your talent yeah. because when you're big, trying to go up against casino or theater, they're just going to have the money. They're going to offer the big dog the top dollar and they're going to go there. But we build a steady, loyal flow of great entertainers because we've had guys at our club like Jay Farrow and T.J. Miller before they were even big because we saw we love T.J. Miller because uh, we love Silicon Valley. Not, how yeah. can they not love? Him? Yeah, um, but guys that we saw breaking before, and I give my wife really a lot of credit on this. She spends countless hours watching tape, and uh, uh, there's something. It really is an art. It's work. If you if you just call up an agent and say send me an act, you're at their disposal. If you actually do the work and shape your club, you can build a venue that people remember what type of acts you bring in. Uh, but that's the w direction I would have went in, uh, as opposed to Mark trying to expand or build yeah. a bigger room. I would have, if anything, downsized it um, or just kept it the same, maintained your status quo because it was a great for the longest time. Man, Tempe Improv was known as one of the. When I was in Montreal and in New York and working in Florida, comics would come through and you'd ask them what one of their favorite clubs was back in the 80s and all through the early and mid-90s. Tempe Improv was on that list, man. Absolutely. They mentioned it all the time. Yeah. And uh, and i got to be honest, I love that, you know, my clubs now, my club in Edmonton and uh, Minnesota and here, we're amongst those kind of clubs that comics talk about. I, I run into comics that before I even tell them who I am, they just think I'm another comic. They'll say to me, yeah, I'm trying to get into this club in, uh, in Arizona called House <laughs> of Comedy. Oh, really? Tell me more. What'd you hear? And, uh, and I mean, it's always, <laughs> it's glowing. <laughs> but Tony, I love hearing, it's like when you hear that, you know, say you weren't at one of the shows at the Performing Arts Center that you yeah. produced, but word gets back to you about how great a night it is. I mean, how good do you feel that that night ran flawlessly without you even be there to crack the whip? Oh, I would I would love if more of them ran flawlessly when I didn't have been there to crack the whip. But you know what I mean, though, <laughs> right? I mean, it's I a, the last time I left town was on one of my shows. I got a call from someone going, so uh, I got a call from... The uh, theater people that run the theater go, and so we got to charge you for the piano. And I'm going, piano? <laughs> <laughs> was, that was just uh, two weeks ago. Yeah, and you were, yeah. and I was, I was, uh, I was visiting my daughter in Los Angeles, and you're sending me texts going, "There's a guy yodeling on stage." I went, yodeling? <laughs> <laughs> So <laughs> let me get you back. When, when more money comes out of your pocket, you turn into Scooby-Doo. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah, no. laughs> Jugglers yodeling, and there was a psychic. There I, too, I, 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 I have a friend who has a home in Malibu who <laughs> had made his home available to my daughter and I, and I was able to go visit her in Los Angeles. I'm having a lovely evening <laughs> in Malibu, and Bob is running the room for me. He goes, there's a guy yodeling on stage. I'm like, yodeling? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going, maybe when he's big waves. Bob's losing his shit here. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh, euphoric recall is what that was. Uh, 
you you own three clubs, so obviously obviously you can't be at all three no, all the time. Um, I, I'm not going to lie. I certainly uh, <laughs> I certainly spend more time down here. One, it being still the baby of the bunch, uh, and up in Canada because I have homes in both those markets. Yeah. Uh, Minnesota, I, I do get to. I, I'm very hands on, and I don't plan. I'm not one of these guys that's going to just uh, you know hope that the money keeps rolling in, and I just uh, you know go play golf five days a week. I love being hands-on. Also, we never really got into how... It's amazing how we can just talk about one subject. I never really oh, we're going to have you back, yeah. I got into comedy, but I... I um, or how I got into club owning. Uh, I had no intention of ever owning a club whatsoever. Um, I, I was the quintessential... Con I hated most club owners. They were like, oh, here, let me, can I pay you in Coke this week? Because I'm short on cash. Can you, we, this uh, is Trixie. She's uh, a friend of ours. Yeah, Could mean, be I, a friend of yours. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I, wish, I wish these were bullshit stories, but back in the 80s, this was uh, yeah. not an uncommon theme. Um, so I, uh, I was um, touring uh, incessantly. I mean, I was on the road 40 to 50 weeks out of the year. And um, in... Uh, I was diagnosed at 17 with Crohn's disease, so I've lived my whole life with an inflammatory bowel disease. And as a matter, quick side note, for those of you listening, we're doing a big, big event uh, November 19th, my birthday at the club, uh, supporting the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, where 100% of the proceeds, I'm not doing one of those things where yeah. uh, everything raised is going to the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. It's Rob, that's Rob's birthday, hey, by the way. Yeah. Here's also on the 19th. 19th yeah. Yeah. You know who else is in, the, in this local market? It's Matt Brooms. Yeah, uh, Matt Boone, uh, comic. Um, another comic, an uh, older gentleman. He's been around for a long time. Uh, uh, Rana. Ron. Oh, I oh. say Pardo, but it's not Pardo. Uh, Rana. I should know who this is. Oh man, very funny. But Ron Mori. Ron Mori. Thank you. Uh, who's great too? Really funny guy. Old school. My birthday's funny. in August. Uh, Rob, uh, the intern, <laughs> has to go. <laughs> we, we also uh, share. Um, I if you want to, okay, I'll oh, be okay, here till about two. Okay. Hey, we're doing an off. off <laughs> 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 Go, Rob. I'm on the air for Christ's sake. Thanks for writing that expo. Oh, Keep you supporting. Tell yeah. us about the benefit. Let me have the hat back. We're going to have to wrap up a little bit. We got to have you back. We got to have you back. Yeah, yeah. I've got. We, we yeah. haven't even scratched the surface. We haven't touched anything. I got to be honest. I talk more. <laughs> I talk less at therapy. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about your mother. I, you see my, I'm not joking here. Um. <laughs> <laughs> The benefit is for the Crohn's Colitis Foundation, November 19th. Uh, I will be emceeing our headliner is a very, very funny Rob Little. Again, if you talk about crowd yeah. pleasers, this is the translation of the word crowd pleaser. Nice. This guy, He's a great comic. If he doesn't kill, I'll give everybody their money back. I just I have that much confidence Good. in this. I would, I would, you hit on something there about 100% of the proceeds. I, I, I'm not a guy who's always advertising that I'm doing charity events. And a matter of fact, I... I I contribute to charity, but I do it quietly. I don't let me know about it because it's about contributing charity. Right? And I've put on shows. I put on shows where we had charities. But as that should be. Charity is a selfless act, and that's the yeah. way it should be. But I put them on where I go, I'm giving all the money to this organization with other people. And I go, well, there's got to be some money for this. I go, no, if I'm putting it on, I'm giving it charity. It's 100% of the charity. So let's talk about that. Let me say, not only is it 100% of every dollar we raise from the tickets, um, I am also, uh, I mean, food and beverage people are on their own for, I don't, uh, I'm not going to buy people their food and beverage, but, um, I'm paying the gratuity out of my pocket cash to all of my servers. 
Um, we have all these unbelievable auction price auction items. Um, I've arranged, uh, and this is just me, but every so many of the people on this board have arranged great prizing. But I arranged a um, through my connections with the Phoenix Coyotes. Hello, Canadian hockey. Go figure. <laughs> um, uh, you can get a suite uh, for the Anaheim Duck game coming up at the end of November, uh, which is a suite for sixteen, courtesy of the uh, Coyotes Alumni Association. The winning the winning bidder in this auction item will also get him and three friends the chance to go skate with the alumni during an open skate with the alumni. Uh, downstairs after the game uh, for a dressing room tour, and because it's against the Anaheim Ducks, the, uh, the captain of the Anaheim Ducks and two-time Olympic gold medalist is uh, Ryan, G and also a Stanley Cup champion is Ryan Getzlaff, and Getzlaff's a family friend, so I have an autographed Getzlaff jersey for the winner, and also a meet and greet set up for the winning bid wow. with Getz after the game as well. And uh, I gotta be honest, I mean, even though Getz is a friend, and uh, <laughs> he, he doesn't get NHL shirts for free either. Like, it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. uh, even though his name's on the back of it. Uh, you know, because imagine if they had to do those deals with every player. I mean, it'd just yeah, be such yeah. a... So buy it, they make the money off it anyhow some, at some point. But, I mean, that's a $300 shirt. I bought that out of my own pocket to give as an auction item. So, uh, will I... Are people listening to go, hey, will he do this for every charity? No, folks, I can't because my wife is also a charity. <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but I have Crohn's. I know the disease. Yeah. So this is a selfish, selfless act, if you will, yeah. because um, it's definitely benefiting me. Uh, so I'm probably going a little above and beyond. But if you are uh, listening and you have a nonprofit organization or a charity that you're associated to, or even if you're raising money because uh, for friends that uh, someone took very ill and you're doing so, we're always happy to donate, uh, you know, stuff for silent auction items. We're always happy to get involved with live auction items, uh, and we're always happy just to be really community-minded. And uh, and it, either way, whether or not you get the uh, the hundred percent Rick Bronson full meal deal with the Crohn's and Colitis event. We're still going to, we do a thing called Comedy for a Cause, and it's a no-brainer. You bring a group down to see a show, most of the proceeds from the night will go into the charity nice. pocket. Well, that, you know, that's fantastic, and I know, I know you do these type of things. I'm, I'm glad that you uh, brought that up, and also, uh, we got to go. I know it's crazy. We haven't even talked like funny stories about we, we comics got any, any, yeah. talk about why I'm doing comedy and how we, I open we, clubs. Or, I mean... We All you proved <laughs> to me is I need to write a book. Yeah, right? you do need to write a book. Will you come back in a couple of weeks? Will you stop uh, in? Yeah, absolutely. You stop yeah. in? How do you know that, it's, that we're not in a bunker someplace? And, uh, no, I'm you not. Know, and we're not in some guy's now, backyard? Now we are, and now I've got an excuse to head over to Nordstrom's right after this. There it's you fantastic. go. We have been talking to, and so pleased to have in studio, Rick Bronson, who owns, oddly enough, Rick Bronson's House of Comedy which is at uh, 5350 East High Street. You can find out about all the wonderful shows that he Which, if you don't mind me adding, is formerly City North, because there's so many people out there that don't even know. Well, we, we explain to people, I go, uh, you know the 101? They go, yeah. You go, you know 56th? I go, between 56th and Tatum. Yeah. Yeah, and what they've done is High Street is just a street built solely for an entertainment district. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're hoping to see even more entertainment places pop in and out of there, or at least in there, not out of there. Um, and uh, it's uh, apparently moving in that direction, but until then, we're gonna keep still producing the best goddamn comedy shows we can, so that should be reason enough to head up to that part of the city. It's a great it's a great thing they built up there. Nice I've gone up there and hung out, hung out at night because you can park and walk around all kinds of shops and restaurants. Yeah, so we've got Blue Martinis up there. Blue Martini at one end, Rick Bronson at the other. How can you go wrong? Hey. How can you go wrong? 
It's at 5350 East High Street, but you can find out all about it by uh, going to az.houseofcomedy.net. Or, or just houseofcomedy.net. Or just net. You can go to that, find out about all the great shows and all the great stuff he's got there. He's even been kind enough to open his doors this Saturday afternoon. And, uh, That's right. You're going to be there with the group with the uh, with, with the, the class, comedy right? workshop. Yeah, cool. comedyschools.com be holding a, a free intro workshop this Saturday at 1 p.m. at Rick Bronson's House of Comedy. If you ever thought about doing comedy and uh, just want to know how to get your feet wet a little bit, you can come in Saturday after 1 o'clock and we'll lay it all out for you. And then you can have lunch and then you can turn right around and come back to the uh, club that night and see Reese Darby. Reese Darby. So, uh, yeah, Rick. That, that is a win win situation. Go take the class and then come see that. And show. then come see a comic, yeah. yeah no, a great comic, I mean, yeah. I mean, like a yeah. comic where you're going to learn something from it. So sure. that's an educational day. Yeah. That's a great day. Well, once again, you know, we want to have you again very soon. Happy there, to do it. There, there's tons I'll of stuff Bob, to talk about. I'll take Bob's about. spot on the show. Absolutely. Bob? <laughs> he can yeah. do that. Just give me Tracy Lord's uh, stand-up routine. <laughs> <laughs> and just get me a yodeler and a piano. Yodeler. <laughs> <laughs> yodeling. <laughs> there's yodeling going on. Rick, Ladies it's a pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Rick Bronson from Rick Bronson's House of Comedy. We will be back in a couple of moments.
Well, we certainly got satisfaction today. Uh, you are listening to This American Podcast Comedy Edition. I'm Tony, Tony Visick. I'm Pammy Visick. I'm Tony Visick. Coming to you on ComedySchoolsRadio.com. Tony. From the ComedySchools.com studios. We were pleased as punch to have from 10 o'clock up to a few minutes ago one of the uh, nicest, funniest, and smartest guys in the entertainment business, Rick Bronson, the owner of Rick Bronson's House of Comedy. He was in, uh, and uh, there was just, a, you know what I love? It was like last week we had the interview with Kevin Rooney, yes. who was uh, the great uh, the great writer out of Los Angeles, the great comedy writer, and Rick today. And when you talk to these guys, you talk to them for an hour, and you go, man, we just got started. We will certainly have Rick back in. I asked him if it comes in sometime next couple of weeks. We're hoping tomorrow at 10 a.m. to have the uh, headliner that is at his club this week, Reese Darby. We're hoping to have him in. Of course, at 9 o'clock tomorrow, we will have the one, the only Greg Morton from the Laugh Factory. So, tons of comedy going on. I want to thank everybody who participated today. I want to rob the intern who left early because he had to go to his job. Bob, big, who big is, Rob. Bob, who has to run out the door right now because he has yeah, an appointment. I got to go. Okay, And I especially want to thank my wife, Shirley Visick, the producer <laughs> of this show. Yeah. And I want to thank you for listening Shirley. or downloading. All right, We will be back tomorrow at 9 a.m. with Greg Morton. Information about Chris Royer and the Tempe Comedy Concert. Tell you how you can get started in the comedy business through uh, comedy workshops. One this Saturday afternoon at Rick Bronson's House of Comedy and more. My name's Tony Visick. We will talk at you manana.